I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Moster, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. Welcome in to the Important Nonsense Podcast. I'm your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and we are in the peak height of the off season. It's just stories are slow. The coach speak is so heavy and the workout videos, at least they're exciting, but it is a dry time of the off season. And you know what? I honestly missed it a lot because last year teams weren't gathering. We didn't even get this much. So it's just good to have even the minute things to talk about. And since we do have stuff to actually talk about this year, we also have some very special guests here to join us as well. We have the offensive line guru of importantnonsense.com, the fullback lead blocking for the rest of us on the IN staff, the one and only Connor Redmond. Connor, welcome to the show. Tell the people about yourself and what you do here at importantnonsense.com. Thank you for the great intro. Uh, I don't think I've ever been called an O-line guru before. If you ever saw my tape, you'd probably change that. Uh, well, I work here right now. I'm working with the news team doing uh, divisional reportings right now. And throughout the season, I'll be working on an O-line form to help you guys help help our viewers better decide key matchups for running backs and quarterbacks based on O-line and D-line matchups. Just a different take on everyone would get. And that's just so valuable too, right? The offensive versus defensive line. It's just so underrated. Yeah, I'm just trying to provide a point of view that's probably not presented much in fantasy sports much. I'm trying to give the O-line some light. And they really just deserve it too. And so be sure to follow along with Connor's writings over on importantnonsense.com. You will not want to miss what this Canadian football phenom has to say. And since we've got a grinder on offense, we have to bring in an equally talented defender on defense. We have brought in our individual defensive player, Wizard, Ben Strauss. Ben, thank you for joining us here on the Important Nonsense Podcast. Let's hear who you are and what you do for the site. Hey, Jax, good to be here. And yeah, I, I have never been called a wizard before, so this is this is getting off to a great start here. Something new. Compliments oh. all around. You guys deserve yeah. it. You know what? <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. So I'm, uh, I'm a fantasy football writer. I uh, have been working on... Um, yeah, the IDP beat here on importantnonsense.com. Also do a little bit of stuff over at uh, the IDP guys site. So IDP is definitely my thing. Um, let's see about me. I am uh, I'm a long-suffering Detroit Lions fan. And I think, you know, that I don't need to say anything else about why I've got such a passion for fantasy football. This is, this is all I got. This is the only way I can enjoy the sport. So. <laughs> <laughs> at least you found some light in the darkness, though. Absolutely. And I really appreciate being able to come here and, yeah. Bask, bask in that glory and sort of, uh, yeah, enjoy that. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And be sure to follow Ben at Ben Strauss too on Twitter. And because we all need to be smarter fantasy players and what Ben has to teach us about IDP, it's going to make you a better fantasy player in general. But enough about the three of us. It's time to get down to the nitty gritty of the NFL. And you can tell this is really the dead time of the offseason because the biggest news we've got right now 
It's an offensive guard, and no offense, Connor, guards are important, but usually it's not all-star all breaking news. But in this case, the Steelers have released the best player on their team, on their offense at least, maybe on their team as well. Three-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, David DeCastro. He's not going to be a part of the Steelers for the first time in nine seasons. And there's rumors that he's going to retire due to a bad, bad ankle. That remains to be seen. It won't be surprised if he signs with Tampa Bay, goes on a Super Bowl run. I digress. But as things stand right now for the Steelers, they only have one returning starter on their offensive line, and that's Chucks Okafor. And he's moving from the right tackle to the left tackle, which really means they have no starters playing the same position as last year. With a brand new offensive line, with a worse, probably, offensive line, an ancient bum elbow Ben Roethlisberger. Is Pittsburgh set up to disappoint Connor? Yes. Everyone that is hyping up Najee Harris as a possible gem for your fantasy team, I'm terrified of Najee Harris. They, he's walking in from Alabama, where they dominate the O-line, and he's never seen a body, maybe even three yards after the line of scrimmage, to now where he's going up against Baltimore, where they have a great scheme on defense. He's going up against Cleveland. I'm a Cleveland fan, so there's going to be bias. I love their front seven. And then they're going against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's always a wild card, but you have those six times a year, or six times total a year. That is terrifying for your rookie running back with no proven O-line, a not mobile quarterback. It's scary, but amazing for me, again, as a Browns fan always nice when the bias works out in your favor because in this I case know. it is very much true the Steelers are looking very scary and those pass catchers could end up suffering because of it Ben's not gonna have the time to throw deep which really hurts guys like Chase Claypool we've seen it before where the defense kind of makes up for the bad offense most recently two seasons ago we had the Steelers they were scoring almost as much as the offense with Tom Brady in his last season is Pittsburgh's defense good enough to make up for this poor offense? or And does that kind of give the Pittsburgh defenders a boost in IDP? I, I don't really think so. I feel like uh, Pittsburgh's D as a unit, I feel like is, uh, they're not exceptional. I just sort of, I, I like to call them like the picture of a serviceable defense. They, they get you the average play. Um, they're not going to make up for a bad offense. They're not going to, you know, totally push you over the top and get you a Super Bowl run. They're just sort of, they're, they're average, you know? So when, it, when you try and translate that over into IDP, I think you can get a little excited because um, when you've got a struggling offense, uh, usually what that's going to mean is that you have the defense on the field more often. So then you can rack up more tackles, you get more points. You know, we love that. Uh, but I think uh, not like maybe it's a, a boring answer, but I don't think a lot has changed. Like the names that you want from this defense on IDP are pretty much exactly who you already know. Uh, Devin Bush in the middle is going to be going to be great. Uh, I honestly think Minka Fitzpatrick's a little underrated. Uh, maybe it depends if your if your league uh, privileges some of like pass breakups and like uh, pick sixes, those kind of things. Like I think if the splash year plays are uh, prioritized in your league, then he's going to be great. Um, and then TJ Watt, of course, I think he's the he's the biggest one. Um, Another thing that I think tends to come up in IDP a lot is based on what platform you're in. Um, sometimes uh, edge defenders in particular might get um, called one position or another. So it's usually like, are they a defensive end or are they a linebacker? And that makes a huge difference in IDP. Uh, so TJ Watt's someone who I think is really good because at least in ESPN, 
Um, they have him down as a defensive line, uh, defensive end, which you want. Um, he was actually the number one defensive end in 2020 for fantasy points. So um, he's an absolute stud. Uh, same thing like with Minka, though. If you especially are in a league where, you know, sacks, force fumbles, uh, those are prioritized a bit more than pure tackles, then, yeah, you got to go get him. And I'm starting to think that, you know, the news is slow this time of year, but you got to go get Saquon Barkley. Because like I said earlier, it's peak workout video time. Saquon Barkley back cutting at full speeds. Looks like he's going to be ready to rock and roll for week one. He looks good. He looks like he's in shape. And when you think about it, he tore his ACL at the start of the season. So he should be fully healthy. He should be back to normal. Should he be in the conversation for the 101? Or is it Christian McCaffrey alone at the top, Connor? My opinion, it's Christian McCaffrey alone at the top. And I don't even have Saquon as my number two running back. The situation Ooh. around in, in, in New York right now is still very up in the air. They have Daniel Jones coming up. They have to find him. They drafted another receiver to find to They drafted Tony in the first round. It seems like they're really trying to set this up to be Daniel Jones' offense. And this talk of him being fully healthy from an ACL injury, ACL injuries are tough to come back. Everyone always kind of thinks of Adrian Peterson. I think that's an anomaly, and we should pump the brakes a bit on Saquon. ACLs are huge, especially for someone like Saquon, who cuts and moves as fluidly as he does. I'm a little worried that, he's, that he could be relying on his knee too much right at the start. Uh, I, for running back two behind CMC, I would still go Derrick Henry. They added to that offense. Teams have to play a lighter box in front of Derrick Henry right now. Saquon is still high up there, but I don't think I don't think he's I don't think he's even really should be in the conversation right now for one oh one. Well, Steve would agree with you. Steve Bonham, important nonsense site head, but. He doesn't have Saquon at number two because he has Dalvin Cook at number two. It's very interesting, though. It seems like everyone agrees it's Christian McCaffrey right at the top, and then some combination of the next tier of backs alongside of that. Would you agree with that as well, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, when I was looking at my notes, it's, yeah, if we're talking, you know, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Saquon, that being the next tier, absolutely. Um, I think the injury note's pretty important, too, for, for Saquon. Um, I was looking at... Um, Wayne Gallman stats uh, when we were prepping for this and I he didn't have a lot of splashy plays but man he was so serviceable uh backing up Barkley that I I really wouldn't be surprised too if you know uh to the point about you know is he going to be you know using his knee too much early on or is he going to be thinking about it not enough uh maybe uh the Giants offense just decides to you know take some of his production away and give it to Wayne Gallman on third downs or you know short yardage situations Oh, Wayne Gallman is gone, my friend. The backup's Devontae Booker now. Wayne Gallman is toiling away in San Francisco, but the point does stand. Oh, well, then. <laughs> it's, 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 you're still right, though, because Devontae Booker did the exact same thing with the Raiders as Wayne Gallman did with the Giants. They are all these just-a-guy backup quality guys who, just because they're just a guy, doesn't mean they're not good at running back when given the ball, right? Exactly. And then, and I mean, Connor, you'd probably agree with this too. The offensive line plays a huge part in this too, instead of the, just the running backs. Isn't that right? Yeah. If the O line, if the O line is bad, Saquon's going to be pacing defenders in the backfield and forced to cut more frequently, put pressure more on his knee, really tested a lot or sooner as he probably should. And it kind of fears me that they'll move more towards 
kind of slowly working in Saquon to make sure his knee is fully healthy and to see if they can find any gems on the O-line to help out where they really do need it. I am conflicted with that because on one hand, it would be good for his dynasty stock, which I have a lot of Saquon Barkley in dynasty, and it'd be good for him to rest him, have him come back slowly, extend his career. But as a redraft fan of Saquon Barkley, I want him to get the full workload. So it's, it's confusing. I am torn, but it's not Saquon Barkley, the only running back where he's getting a lot of talk growing louder and louder as the offseason kind of c- commences. We have the stand-up bass guitar kind of playing for Jaws, the shark coming in. Da-dum. Da-dum. And it's getting louder and faster. And that is because we hear Antonio Gibson ready to crash through. According to his coach, night and day transformation this offseason. We know he's a bell cow runner based on all of the hype of last year. How good he looked in the NFL. Especially because he wasn't a running back coming into the NFL. He was a receiver. So when he looks that good running the ball, we already know he's a good receiver. Probably not wrong to assume that a large portion of J.D. McKissick's 106 targets will end up going to Antonio Gibson. So with all of that working together, an elite defense, they're probably going to be leading a lot of games. Are we all a little bit too low on Antonio Gibson? Simply too high on the Washington pass catchers? My opinion, I think we are too high on the Washington pass catchers. I don't love the situation that they have at QB. I know it's Fitz magic, but the magic will run out. He is getting older. It's highs and lows. I feel the the Washington offense will run through. Will run through Antonio Gibson. They have a good old line in front of them. They did lose Moses, I believe, but I don't think that is a key cog in their machine as much as how big he is, how big he looks too. I really like Scherf on the inside for them. So I'm high on Gibson, and like I would, I'd, I'd sell, sell the stock of any Washington pass catchers. And that's one thing that might be getting overrated, like you said, Morgan Mo- Moses leaving. Yeah, they lose their right tackle, but they get Charles Leno, the Bears' left tackle. They kick their left tackle, Cornelius Lucas, to right tackle. They draft a second-round offensive tackle in Sam Cosme. So yes, on paper, it looks like yeah, they they lost their star. Probably a bad thing. Not necessarily in this case. And like we've talked about this defense so good, they're going to run the ball a lot because they're going to be leading a lot. And so with that, is the defense good enough that we can just draft anyone from the Washington defense? Like, Have they reached that level? You can draft any starter, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, rookie Jamin Davis, because he has the best defensive line in the league in front of him should be making a ton of tackles with the blockers freed up in front of him. Is he the top rookie IDP player? And is this Washington defense just lights out? Absolutely. This, it's, I know like the question's a little almost hyperbolic of like, can I just start anyone on this defense? But honestly, like this is one of the deepest uh, defensive teams in the league when you're talking about like having viable IDP options. Uh, there are so many, so many players. I think the defensive line in particular really shows it. We all know about, you know, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Uh, I was looking and I was really surprised, you know, just sort of anecdotally, you know, I think we all know that, you know, Jonathan Allen, uh, Dron Payne, they're both very good defensive tackles. Uh, they were both top 10 defensive tackles in 2020. So I feel like that, that tells you something right there. Like this, this defense is just really, really good. Um, 
Landon Collins, we can't forget about him too, playing playing up in the box, getting all those tackles. That's great. Um, but Jamin Davis, yeah, really like this offseason feels like the headliner. Um, and especially when we're talking about like IDP rookies, he, he's basically the guy. Um, I think he's probably the top. I have him as my number one uh, player that I'm sort of targeting in my rookie drafts. The I, I try and come up with sort of like a counter argument of like, is there someone that's sort of knocking on the door and competing here? Um, the only person I'm able to come up with is Micah Parsons. And I think you kind of have to do some mental gymnastics to sort of get yourself to that point. You know, we all know he's a really athletic specimen. He, he's capable of playing all three downs. He flies around the field. So there's some upside there and there's some things to get excited about from just a pure football standpoint. But I, I look at the competition there and it's not the absolute worst, but I think there's so many unknowns where, you know, Dallas already has Jalen Smith, who's always been pretty good the past couple seasons, is a really, really solid linebacker for IDP. Uh, Leighton Vander Esch has that high, uh, high draft pick capital, though Parsons does as well. Uh, I believe that his uh, fifth year option was declined, so it looks like he's not going to be there. But what does that mean for 2021? Don't really know. Um, there's even Keanu Neal, who they're going to be playing at linebacker too, who maybe isn't a huge threat, but it's, you know, how does he get deployed? Does that eat up some, you know, certain situations where he's going to be on the field instead? Really hard to say. So, you know, I think that's, that's a lot about Parsons. So I, I can sort of see it. Like I wouldn't fault anyone for, you know, really feeling like they have a good read on Dallas's defense or really just loving Parsons upside. But aside from that, like Jamin Davis has, all, all of the opportunity, all of the control in, in that linebacker core. We already talked about it's like the best defensive line in the league ahead of him. So he, he's just going to get those tackles from, from week one, and he's just going to be a real solid um, IDP contributor for, for a long time, I think. I'm so glad that you brought up the Cowboys to contrast that because it's just a, such a natural segue into our next topic, which is the Dallas Cowboys because they're kind of the antithesis to the Washington football team. Both are going to have improved offensive line. Cowboys offensive line will be healthy, which means they should be better, even if they are aging a little bit. But their defense might be one of the worst in the NFL. So instead of running all the ball all the time, trying to grind out clock, grind out leads with Antonio Gibson in Washington, in Dallas, they're going to be throwing a lot. It's going to be a track meet, and we don't know kind of how – defense is going to hold up They're, they could have to put up 45 points a week just to compete so as it stands right now we've got Dak Prescott back he's going at the QB6 we have Ezekiel Elliott going as the RB6 Amari Cooper wide receiver 13 CD Lamb wide receiver 14 they're kind of right together and then it's a big drop off to Michael Gallup at wide receiver 38 and Blake Jarwin going at tight end 22 at the very back of the draft but with a defense this bad and with a improving offensive line, could all of these Cowboys end up being better than their ADP, Connor? I believe so. Actually, I'm kind of leaving on the line that this is probably the right spot for all of them. Their old line is healthy, but on the lines of they're still old and it's still they're adding an extra game to this season. So this is a strenuous season for them. And I don't feel their injuries may not carry over, but it is seeming though they've played a lot of football in their life. O-line is a very physical position. Heck, when you watch Tyron Smith play, it looks like he has a brace on every single joint on his body. Zach, <laughs> Zach Martin 
is still elite but aging. I don't love their Connor Williams. I don't like. I never really felt like he is a run blocker type, and I could really pigeonhole them to attack him in run situations. So Zeke, I feel is a little high at RB six, but everywhere else along the line, I feel. I said I N have got it spot on with the spots we have everyone at. Very interesting. And so kind of the opposite end of that, what we were talking about with Washington. I know you mentioned Micah Parsons. It's kind of questionable. But with a bad defense, meaning they're going to be on the field a lot, does that help Cowboys IDP players or just players on bad defenses in general, Ben? Yeah, I think in general, I think it's certainly the wisdom holds true where it should be a really helpful thing. Um, But the Cowboys, I think, are actually a really good example of how, um, you know, it, it shows the the relationship between your offense and your defense and how, you know, based on how the game situations and the game scripts go, like it it can actually be a bad thing. Uh, So a couple of instances that I'm thinking of here, you know, if say the Cowboys aren't really doing well and they regularly have to face a team, like say they're playing the Titans and it's just going to be Derrick Henry all day long. And, you know, the, their weak defensive line isn't able to handle um, Derrick Henry, just pounding the rock, bleeding the clock all the time. Um, I mean, that, that's probably pretty good. That's what you'd want to see in, in, a, in that situ- situation because, you know, at least your linebackers are going to get a lot of tackles. You're going to get IDP production. Um, but the same thing can be reversed. You know, we have to remember the Cowboys have Zeke. You know, it, we want to see, or I at least want to see, you know, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper getting all those, you know, like really awesome, you know, like uh, flashy touchdown, you know, catching runs and like jump balls and stuff. But we, we could really easily see a situation where if the Cowboys get, you know, ahead in the game, they decide they want to give Zeke 25 plus touches and sort of take the same approach. Um, that's maybe not going to leave the defense with as many opportunities to actually accumulate points. So it's, it's not all on the offense. though. like the defense has its own responsibilities. Um, not to, you know, lean too much on a cliche, but I feel like the sort of bend don't break for defense is really crucial there. Um, Cause Specifically, if we think about it for IDP, like if every single game for them was like week two last year, a 40 to 39 victory against the Falcons, that that's kind of on paper. It sounds like it might be really good. But if you have a lot of, you know, uh, two play, three play drives where you give up a big play to Calvin Ridley or whoever else, uh, you're just taking away the opportunity to earn any sort of IDP points at all. So it, it can go a lot of different directions, I think. So does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And so uh, one of my co-hosts on the Club Nonsense podcast, Nee Wallace Bruce, our IDP head, he always has this cheat code that when you have a linebacker that's on waivers and he's playing up against a Christian McCaffrey, a Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook, play that linebacker, even if it's a second, third linebacker on the team, because they're going to get a lot of tackles because those offenses are built to give their running back the ball, Like, which is probably why Connor has Derrick Henry as his RB2, which kind of does bring us to our next point. Titans are trying to do their best to hold off the Colts in the AFC South, and they're built around the running game, but they've added Julio Jones as well. So this kind of brings us back to the Titans as a team, and as a whole, they want to give Derrick Henry the ball. And so with an improving offensive line, like Connor said earlier, what does that mean for Tennessee as a whole? Are they going to be better on offense with Julio Jones and Derrick Henry? Does that leave room for the defense? Because the defense has had a lot of regression. They're kind of looking scary. So 
are they going to be able to hold teams down enough that the Titans are going to be able to run the ball? Is it going, are they going to have to pass more? How does this all shake out? I'm very interested to see Tennessee. Well, I feel Tennessee, they, they feel like a team to me is like the old school Patriots. They have Mike Frabel as a head coach. They stick to their game plan and they don't care what the other team does. So they, I feel they will run the ball and they have an offense designed to run the ball. Like they said, they lost, they added Kendall Lamb, who is a Cleveland guy who I am very excited for. I feel like he's a great piece for them. And even they hedged their bet. They drafted Dylan Radons in the second round. I love Tennessee's offensive line, especially with Taylor Luan coming back. I feel their offense is capable of winning games through the run game, through the pass game, through whatever they want to do. If they want to QB sneak it, I believe in this Tennessee offense. I feel Vrabel is the type of head coach stick to a game plan. And he's he's in there drills with no helmet and a pad. So he he feels like he should have played he should have played in the eighties. Yeah, I think so. I think we're thinking a bit diff- uh, similarly about the offense. And that's, I think, it's, it really all goes through the offense with Tennessee. I, I kind of, not to, to shirk my, my IDP duties here, but I just have written down, like, the defense really just needs to be average, I think. Because uh, really what this Tennessee, the philosophy that they have, I think, can get into a lot of trouble if, you know, you're trying to establish the run, you're trying to just give Derrick Henry all his touches, but if you get into a situation where you're just down a bunch of points, so sometimes you can stick to your strengths and get out of that, but sometimes you, another team can just fly away from you, and that's, that's not great at all. So uh, I think if the defense can just stay average, um, yeah, everything that Connor was saying holds true. And then the only other thing I think I'd add is uh, maybe, yeah, if uh, Julio and A.J. Brown maybe aren't seeing exactly the same amount of uh, – targets that they're used to as long as the titans can just get a little bit more efficient um and really just let Tannehill push it down the field with really deep deep passes off a of play action uh i think that maybe is the antidote for them to just keep everything going fine so the titans are going to try to hold off the colts in the afc south with this new kind of run and shoot offense grind it out with derrick henry throw the deep ball to julio and aj brown but will it work because the colts are pretty much running it back as well only difference is they have, I don't know if you want to call it an upgrade, but from Philip Rivers up to Carson Wentz, call it a lateral move maybe. Meanwhile, Anthony Costanzo is replaced with Eric Fisher once he gets healthy. In the meantime, it's going to be Sam Tevy. So both kind of lateral moves, not necessarily an upgrade. So Derek Henry or Jonathan Taylor? I know Connor's answer. Ben, what do you think? It's got to be Derek Henry. I think it. they're close. And I think it kind of, you can make the difference between like uh, dynasty and redraft between these two guys is actually pretty interesting. Uh, redraft. It's obviously Derrick Henry. Uh, the short, short answer for that, I think too, is Derrick Henry isn't competing with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines for, for touches. Taylor is like, that's, those are really good backups to have. And you got to sort of give them their due. So, um, you know, it's obviously the Derrick Henry show in Tennessee. Uh, maybe it gets that way sometime in the future. Um, in Indy with Jonathan Taylor, but you know, I don't think this year. So I'm ready for Connor to just like run straight over me with his Derrick Henry love, but Jonathan Taylor or Saquon Barkley now we'll go back to, cause I know you've got Der- Derrick Henry number two. So how do they shake out? I would take Saquon Barkley over Jonathan Taylor. The, when you commented on Sam Tevy, Eric Fisher replacing Anthony Consanzo as a lateral move, I feel I have to jump in and say, I don't think that's a lateral move. I think that's falling down a couple uh, rungs of a ladder. 
Santevi, I don't trust fully as a full-time tackle, even if he's only going until Eric Fisher comes back. Eric Fisher tore his Achilles in the AFC Championship game also. That is almost as late in the season as you can have a roughly year-long injury. So we could be seeing a lot of Sam Tevy, and especially what Ben says, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines, and Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor may have been the worst of the receiving of those three, and I feel with the fall in the offensive line play, they may be moving more to a quick pass game to hide their offensive line. I have Jonathan Taylor as a slight sophomore slump candidate. So I, I oh, again, no, oh, just breaking my heart, just making me so sad. But I understand it all because we, we saw it with Carson Wentz and Miles Sanders and all the pass catchers there. It just things can go weird when you have Carson Wentz when you have competition. So I still think Jonathan Taylor is the 101 in Dynasty. I think you don't get physical specimens like that at running back too often. He is the best physical prospect at the running back position since Saquon Barkley, which makes him better than Saquon Barkley in Dynasty because he's younger. So still love Jonathan Taylor long term. I get the hesitation for this year. But meanwhile, his teammate, Darius Leonard, does that make him the 101 of IDP still? I think so. I mean, on my board, yeah, Darius Leonard's 101. Uh, you mentioned something interesting with with the age there, especially for Dynasty. I think that um, could bring Devin White into the equation just because I think he's he's two years younger than Darius Leonard. So if you really just love having really young players on your team, then I guess I'd understand if you choose Devin White. But, man, Le- Leonard, Will- or Leonard Williams, Jesus Christ. Darius Leonard is so well-established. Uh, he's doesn't have a lot of like really viable competition on that roster. Devin White absolutely does. So, I mean, even in Dynasty, I, I just can't stay away from Darius Leonard. He's he's so good. Um, and look, I want to win championships right now, even if it's Dynasty. So I, I know he's going to help me do that. So yeah, lock him in. What great information we're getting about just uh, things we don't learn about often, things that aren't talked about enough on the IDP side and the offensive line side. And we have more of that to come after the break. And we are back. And the Colts, the Titans, they might be the stars of the AFC East. But could the Jaguars be back as well? Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent at quarterback. They have a young, improving offensive line. The pass catches are impressive. It's looking good in Duval County. But the big question is at running back still. I've been told on Twitter that I'm burying my head in the sand and I'm avoiding all of life's problems and I probably should go to therapy because I believe in Travis Etienne over James Robinson. Is this stranger on Twitter right? Do I need therapy because I think Travis Etienne is a value in the fifth round right now? Am I crazy? Uh, I don't think you're crazy. I think Urban Meyer's crazy. I was reading well, before. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know what to believe coming out of Duval. I was reading Travis Etienne's taking only wide receiver reps. If that's the case, Jack, sorry, you're crazy. If he's running back, you're not crazy. So we won't know until Urban Meyer makes up his mind. But I I just don't understand Jacksonville. They draft a running back in the first round, and they only play him in a receiver. It seems very Jaguar-esque. But maybe I'm the crazy one, and I just can't understand it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to break down here. I think Urban Meyer is the next King, Cliff Kingsbury level fraud. 
for anyone who's listened to me talk in the past, I cannot stand Cliff Kingsbury. I think the only reason he's successful or thought of as successful, he's not successful at any stop of his career, is because he's handsome. And I think Urban Meyer is going to prove to be that in the NFL as well. But the one thing that doesn't really worry as much me as much is we know Travis Etienne can run the ball. We know he can catch well, so it's not a bad thing he's being used in multiple positions, especially because LaVisca Chenault's getting the hype now. My worry was they were going to turn him into kind of like that hybrid Curtis Samuel. But that's LaVisca Chenault's role. He's dominating it at it in training camp. And so I think we're safe. And I think Travis Etienne has like an 80 reception ceiling. He could be like an Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler type of player in terms of receptions. But he's 215 pounds, so he can carry the full workload as well. So that's why I love Travis Etienne. I'm glad you don't think I need therapy. I very much appreciate that. Very kind words of you. But not such kind words, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Not going well there at all. And it's one of the only things that sports networks are allowed to talk about right now. I can't count how many times Max Kellerman and Stephen A. have had this debate. What's Aaron Rodgers going to do? Will he quit? Will he host Jeopardy? Will he be traded? Will he stay? Where does Aaron Rodgers play in 2021? What is the bad man going to do? We don't know. But what do you guys think is going to happen? And because of that, where are you drafting Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams? I'll let Ben go first. I have no idea where Aaron Rodgers is going. I feel like it's a blind shot pick at any of them. Yeah, I mean, it. it's really hard to tell. I think I, I've kind of got like a, maybe it's a, a wild prediction here. Uh, at least the only thing I feel like I do know is it, this has been dragging on since, what, the, the day of the draft. So it's been a couple months here. I really feel like Rodgers doesn't want to play for the Packers this year. Uh, it's just, a, we all know this. It's a matter of how does that happen. Uh, I'm wondering, because I know in just a few days here is the deadline for COVID opt-outs. I wonder if that's a really useful tool for Rodgers to be using if he does want to buy himself some time. Uh, just just the, the things that drew me to that are, as I understand it, it seems like he qualifies. There's a certain like deadline for um, the last time you signed a contract that I believe he's totally okay for he could do a voluntary opt-out not get any sort of stipend or anything but as i understand it since that just moves your contract over to the next year i feel like he could probably get away from you know some of those like roster penalties or you know signing bonuses or things that if he sticks to his guns maybe he just has to shell out millions of dollars to sort of win this little uh grudge match with the front office so i i, I don't i i am really curious to see how this goes I could see it happening. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say like it's going to happen, but I, I think that'd be a really, really interesting direction for this to go to. Uh, just especially because I think another thing that, that comes to mind with this is um, salary cap issues is one of the really difficult things about trading him. So if you know we sort of see things go the way that we want with the, or that we expect with the salary cap sort of ballooning, um, with a new 17 game regular season and, you know, no COVID and people in stands and everything. Uh, I feel like that probably makes it easier for the Packers to plan ahead for a trade and probably just makes it easier for other teams being able to like stomach that uh, because they just have more cap space to sort of soak them up and maybe go on a run. So <laughs> how crazy is that guys? What are you thinking? You have made me think way more than I expected. I didn't expect to hear any of that because my understanding was the longer this goes, the less likely he is to be traded, but that's a deadline. That's a hard, firm deadline that could actually change things. I am, I am mind blown right now. What do you think, Connor? 
I really think that's what's going to happen. Ben sold me completely. Aaron is going to opt out. He's going to host Jeopardy. And then next next offseason, we're just doing this all over again. Uh, I hope not. I, I, w- I just want this to be done. I'm, I'm bored of it, but it's all there is to talk about. I'm bored of it. And I'm sure Mike Zimmer's bored of it too over in Minnesota because he just has to hear about it every day and just he has to prepare for Aaron Rodgers, but he's wasting his time preparing for Aaron Rodgers. It's just, it's frustrating for all of us involved. But in the meantime, Zimmer is tamping down the expectations for Irv Smith Jr. He's kind of saying that Irv isn't going to play as much as you think. He's He played a lot last year. He's still going to play as much as he did this year. It's going to be more Tyler Conklin replacing Kyle Rudolph, and they're both going to be on the field. So maybe we shouldn't be drafting Irv Smith. But on the other side of things, Falcons doing the exact opposite with Kyle Pitts. They're telling us, draft him in fantasy. We are going to feed him 2,000 targets this season. He's going to go for 4,500 yards. Kyle Pitts is going to be the, the best player in NFL history. That's what we're hearing out of Atlanta. So who should we believe, if either? Should we care what these coaches say about the tight ends? And where do we have these guys kind of outside the top three? We know it's Kelsey Waller and Kittle. Is there anyone else in their tier? Is is Pitts almost close, or is it just the big three, and can someone replace Kelsey as he turns 31? I think the talk out of Atlanta is, I think they backed it up. Uh, I believe it was today that they signed uh, Pitts to the most guaranteed money out of a tight end, so I'll follow the money, and I believe Atlanta loves Kyle Pitts, and they paid him a lot of money, so they're probably going to throw him the ball a lot. So I would put him up there. I'm also going to do a little plug here for my favorite tight end and who I think is going to win people fantasy leagues late on, Tyler Higbee. Matthew Stafford made Brandon Pettigrew a legit fantasy tight end. Brandon Pettigrew left. No one ever heard of Brandon Pettigrew again. Tyler Higbee will have a breakout year. Mark it down. And I'm sure Ben is thrilled to hear you talking about Brandon Pettigrew. I'm sure that doesn't bring back any bad memories at all, does it, Ben? I'm sorry. I was watching some highlights the other day, in fact. Yeah. Uh, what? But no. Why were you watching Brandon Pettigrew highlights? Who How did you get you? there? Oh, I, yeah, I have to say, it's not Brandon Pettigrew in particular, but, you know, I'm, you know, speaking of Matthew Stafford, I, I'm still going through them withdrawals. You know, it doesn't feel real that I've got Jared Goff as my quarterback now. So just reliving some of the good days, some of the, the fun memories. And yeah, just sort of weird seeing Brandon Pettigrew just like lumber around out there. So. <laughs> He was I, so bad. He, he was. I, I also, I just have to chime in and agree, though, on Tyler Higby. He's someone that um, I was able in a couple of my best ball uh, leagues to pick him up just off the waiver wire because people, I guess, were really concerned that he was in sort of a two tight end situation last year. And, oh, my God, even with Jared Goff, it was so good. So I, I totally agree. Like, Matthew Stafford's going to make him look real nice. What about his former tight end, TJ Hawkinson? Can we get a little bit of hype for him? Probably. I mean, if you're looking at me, yeah, I'll, I'll give him a little bit, like, ki- kind of back to the main subject if we're talking about, like, the top tight ends. I, I feel like it's sort of, I have Hawkinson, like, five or six. Like, I have him and Mark Andrews just sort of hugging each other, like, right below all the other four guys that we talked about. Uh, so I think that's about where he is, and it's fair. But I, I do want to hype him up a little bit, because this this has been something I've seen a little bit of chatter about with... Uh, I think a lot of Detroit's offensive players just this offseason is, you know, we all know that they're in the retool slash rebuild, and maybe it's not going to be exciting football to watch for a little bit here. 
But I see people wholesale just not even interested in this, anyone on the team. So somebody has to catch the ball. Like TJ Hawkinson is going to get so many targets. Like I, I don't e- I think he has a good chance to be efficient. Even if he's not efficient, he's going to put stats up. It's going to be real nice. I'm getting him everywhere. That's exactly how I feel about TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. Someone has to catch the ball, so why not them? Because we know they're really good. We know DeAndre Swift caught more balls than Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle combined when they shared a backfield at Georgia, which is just amazing. We know that TJ Hawkinson has just been efficient as can be. They love they love throwing on the ball. And he is now the tight end university world champion. We cannot forget about that. Draft TJ Hawkinson, draft DeAndre Swift maybe draft Tom Brady because of course we can't go an entire podcast without having a whole conversation about the goat Tom Brady QB eight in fantasy last year. He goes on to win a super bowl looks better and better and better as the season goes on. So is there any way that he carries that into 2021 gets even better again in a follow-up? Is there enough room for him to improve? Is there enough room for all of Mike Evans Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown to eat. I don't think there's enough room, but Tom Brady has proven me wrong time and time and time and time again. So whatever I say, do the opposite when it comes to Tom Brady. I don't think there's enough balls to get feed Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, uh, OJ Howard, Rob Gronkowski. It just doesn't seem like it should work to me, but it, most, it probably will because it's Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, that, that's sort of the interesting thing, I think, is uh, I think with we were talking about Washington defense, talking about like deep teams, like the Bucks are deep at every position. It's it's so nuts. Like Jason Light has done such a good, good job building a contender like in the snap of like, you know, just snap. Boom. Uh, Tom Brady's here. We're going to get everyone together around him, like really exceptional job there. So um, I, I'd agree, though, on sort of. Yeah too many mouths to feed like they'll be a good football team just to watch and like in in all other respects that aren't fantasy but yeah i I sort of view um evans and godwin as pretty reliable that's kind of how i read the offense is like those are the targets that i would grab uh maybe if i'm like in a best ball league and i can like get antonio brown for cheap or something i'll do that but i just i feel like i have such a terrible sense of like I, I don't know how to value this dude anymore like so many things have happened the past two seasons with this guy I'm just like I, I don't know anymore yeah it's really tough to know but all that comes together to show Tom Brady probably gonna have a really really good season hoping for an encore hoping for another Super Bowl and hoping for another Super Bowl MVP but could he win a regular season MVP at 44 years old so Ben who's your MVP Who's your defensive MVP for 2021? Yeah, I think I'll say I could see Brady doing it, but kind of like we were just talking about, very very deep offense. You know, I I could I could see it not being like a sexy pick for MVP. Like I could see people being like, yeah, Tom Tom Brady's an MVP. We all understand. Um, so I, I could see it, but I think I don't know. Something's telling me like it's a safe pick, but I feel pulled in uh, the Pat Mahomes direction. Like I'm partially i know we've been talking about a lot about offensive line like i can't wait to see him behind that rebuilt chiefs offensive line i think it's going to be so nice um he of course doesn't need it you know pat mahomes can make make a play out of anything but i i just feel like that's going to give him more time uh it's going to be just just night and day different so 
that I'm really excited for Pat Mahomes. And then uh, another one, uh, defensive MVP, Aaron Donald. I think that's an easy one. I, I just feel like he's so good. Uh, if I can trash my lions for a second here, because we were talking about tight ends before I will never forget that we picked Ebron in 2014. Oh, was no. it five spots ahead of Aaron Donald. It, I just oh, no. can't understand it. If you want to talk about the 2014 draft, go. Do you guys remember who the Browns picked? Because I have nightmares daily. That Manziel? No, that was Justin Gilbert before all that. Oh, Manziel was worse. later. Oh, that was the, that might be the worst draft of all time. You, you two poor men. You just poor, long suffering NFL fans. I feel so bad for you both. <laughs> oh, oh boy, but yeah, you get drop, used to it. Optimus yeah. Prime, Eric Ebron is especially painful. So yeah, my thing. I don't think Tom Brady is going to be MVP either. I have Justin Herbert, but how about you, Connor? Who do you have? I'm on the Dak train. Comeback Player of the Year and MVP. He was he was Ooh. wasn't he first in passing yards two a week after his injury also so that offense is Dak's offense I feel he's gonna put up crazy video game numbers an extra season I feel he could go after the passing yardage record and touchdown record so I have Dak as my MVP comeback player of the year and I absolutely uh, love that yeah that's and, so good and for defensive MVP. Uh, I'm about to show my Cleveland Browns colors. Yeah, this is Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's year. Last year he was on pay. COVID stopped him. Nothing stopping him this year. He's got Jadavian Clowney with him. They revamped the all the secondary with the draft. They added JOK, who I wanted at 20, and we got him at 56, I believe. So this is Miles Garrett's year. And if you saw him wearing a suit, that just adds to his resume. Just Man can pull off a suit, looks scary, looks intimidating, and will look great accepting that award. No disagreement there. He is a fantastic talent. And so, final question. Will the GOAT add another ring and another Super Bowl MVP? Who do you have, Connor? I think they win it again. I think this is how Brady goes oh. out. I, I, I don't know about Super Bowl MVP because I felt like he shouldn't have won this one. I felt they should have went to Gronk or the entire defense. But I do see I have Tampa Bay as the favorites for, for the Super Bowl. And with the Super Bowl MVP, you got kind of have to give it to the quarterback nowadays. It's rare when it's not. So I think yes. And can anybody stop Tom Brady? Yeah, I, I like how you set it up because that's, that's kind of how I approached this when I was prepping for it. I. I really like thinking about dark horse candidates in situations like this because, of course, Tom Brady and the, and the Bucks, I think, are an easy choice, and I don't begrudge anyone for, for making that prediction. Um, but I kind of approach this thinking of what are teams that have you know good quarterbacks, like good young quarterbacks, and that have a team built with the right formula, like a high-powered offense, really stout defense that can really get after the quarterback and throw Tom Brady off his game. And... It, it's kind of right there with some of the, uh, you know, favorite teams we've been talking about over the podcast here. I could see Baker and the Browns doing it. Yes. They, they check all those boxes. I could see Matthew Stafford and the Rams doing it. They, they check all those boxes. And I just, oh, I, I can't tell you how thrilled I would be for that specific matchup. Oh, please. I want it. I want it so bad. 
goosebumps absolute goosebumps and that's gonna do it from us here on the important nonsense podcast we are gonna go out on a high note of the browns winning the super bowl so thank you friends for joining me ben i i don't know if you can top that prediction but do you have any parting words or final thoughts to leave your newly won over fans in the medical metaphorical stands i know connor will forever love you for that prediction agreed Great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, th- thanks you guys for having me on. This has been great. Um, I certainly can't top the predictions there, but uh, yeah, I'll just sort of plug a few things. You know, if you want to follow my writing, uh, yeah, come over to importantnonsense.com. Doing some cool stuff over here. I've been working on a series of 2021 IDP sleepers. Um, basically all guys that you could probably pick up on the waiver wire for basically nothing and get some good production. So that that's always a good read. Um, also writing about dynasty and a lot of other fantasy football topics over at IDP guys. Um, and yeah, uh, otherwise you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Ben Strauss too. And be sure to check out importantnonsense.com for the ratings of both of these two, plus many other fantabulously talented individuals. Being your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and you can find me each and every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Jack Knows Best a best ball live stream where I am the judge, the jury, the executioner, defeating friends, defeating allies on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook at NonsenseFF over on Underdog Fantasy. Be sure to use promo code NONSENSE when you sign up for a free $25 as well. So thank you all for tuning in. It's been an absolute joy as always getting to talk nonsense with you. So never forget that you are important and be sure to keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!